Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Thank you for tuning in today. We are going to jump right in. Today, we are joined by the creator of Latina Money. Janet Cruz Padron is with us today. Welcome to the show, Janet. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to have these chit chats with you. We met on social media. I seen some of the work she was doing on Instagram and she was just killing it with all kinds of stuff, different content that she was posting. And I was just really looking forward to having her on. And you guys are really in for a treat with the work that she's doing in the Latina community. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. And I want to just kind of step out of the way. If you can give the listeners a brief introduction of yourself, Janet. Yes. Thank you so much for taking an interest in the work that we're doing over Latina Money. I think it's been incredible, the connections and the partnerships and the collaborations we've been able to make within the communities of color. And I think your conversations that are going, that start maybe on social media, but really are expanding in so many different directions. I myself started in this space. A little bit of my background prior to jumping in full steam with Latina Money is that I had a background in government. I was able to have the privilege of meeting a lot of individuals that were doing incredible things that were very successful at what they did that were financially well off. And coming from, as a daughter of immigrant parents, I thought it's so incredible how there's tremendous amount of just a big gap between the numbers that government contracts deal with to some of the struggles that we deal with in in our particular communities. And learning how to really bridge that gap, it was something that I was passionate about, not only from my own personal experience, but also just on a much larger scale. I started asking these individuals to teach me about money. And a lot of the knowledge that they were so graciously shared with me, I believe was changing my life. It was my duty, my responsibility to also share it with my community. That is really how the inspiration for Latina Money Back in 2018, during Hispanic Heritage Month, I started having these money conversations with fellow Latina creatives, entrepreneurs, and really starting doing a lot of Q&A on their money stories and recording those, putting those out. It would eventually became the Latino Money Podcast. And I think it was just welcomed within our community because we're ready. We're hungry. We want this knowledge. We want to be able to not only improve our own situation, but also be able to contribute to our communities in general, in society as a whole. So I think that that really starts from a fundamental personal place. It's been really great to see how our community has grown, how they've embraced the knowledge and how much you start to see the commonalities between the struggles between all of our communities. We're all in it together, essentially. Exactly. And I think like it's the similarities between Latino community or Latinx community the Black community are so, so close. It's like, okay, so not a cool stat, but a stat. For every $100 a white family has, a Black family has about $5. Latino family has in between 6 and $7. We're right there, neck and neck, 
struggling through some of the systemic issues about the wealth gap together. I thought that it was important for us to get on this together and start collaborating and work together because, well, one, all my kids are half Mexican, so they're Latinos. If they're half Latino and half Black, I thought, and not only that, some of my, just because of the proximity that I've been to Latinos my entire life, I feel like this was a natural collaboration that needed to happen. I wanted to just pick your brain a little bit and get it recorded. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Why do you think it was so important? You said you started this back in 2018. Why was it so important for you to empower Latina women back then? Well, obviously, I was born a Latina female. And I think the struggles that I dealt with growing up, I felt, I think growing up, I felt a little bit maybe alienated because you don't tend to see yourself. It's tough to see yourself and other people sometimes. I think as I got older and started having these conversations, started really diving into not only improving my own situation and doing the research, I realized Latinx really have, as of 2019, they had $1.7 trillion of purchasing power. And a lot of those purse strings are really essentially held by Latinas. And I think as women, you know, whether we have children or not, we are the decision makers when it comes to the purchases that we're making for our home, for ourselves and for our families too. I think we hold a tremendous amount of power, but it's tough sometimes to see yourself, I guess, in other people essentially. And I think that that's how I felt. So once I started really putting out content, people were feeling seen and they would come back and give me feedback like, thank you. That is something I experienced growing up as well. I felt that way. And I think with that type of feedback, I realized, hey, we are not alone in this journey. We all do in some way, shape or form go through the same experiences in a different type of way. But essentially, when we improve our own situation, that tends to ripple out to our families, our communities and society in general. And I love one of my favorite quotes is an African proverb, actually, of you educate a man. And what is it? If you educate a man, you educate an individual. But if you educate a woman, you educate an entire nation. And I think that's incredibly powerful in itself. As a woman, we are social creatures. Whatever it is that we are, whatever knowledge we have, we are essentially going to be sharing it with the people around us. And then they're going to share it with the people around them. So I think that that's not only fulfilling for me because it's healing to my own journey to share my message and see and allow other people to also see themselves in that journey, but then also see myself in their journey. But also, again, the ripple effect, how it's not just about myself, it's about the much bigger picture. Representation has been a problem for people of color for a long time. And you're talking about it now. We've talked about it on our show. And it's something that's being, we're trying to change that, right? Because How many Latina women have you seen as CEOs in Fortune 500 companies? How many Black women have you seen there? How many Black people have you seen there? How many other people of color are not sitting on these boards? And it sounds good, diversity and inclusion. I hate those words because it doesn't mean shit. Like, I'm just going to say it like that on my show. People know how I talk. It's just what it is. It doesn't really mean anything until rubber meets the road and we start seeing that. For the little brown boys and little brown girls and little black boys and little black girls, when they look up and they don't see anybody that they can actually become, that is an issue. And we really start to, if you will, like stunt our growth, our growth capability, because we don't get to see us in positions of power. We will change that. We're going to change that. 
And that's why the tagline for this show is changing the complexion of wealth, because we need to change that complexion. I'm all in. And I think you're all in on this, too. And we're going to change some things. So tell us about talking money or, as you say, I speak the narrow. Talk to us about that, because I love that. My shirt here, it's something incredibly passionate about. I think all great change really starts with having a conversation, being willing to have those conversations. And I'm a huge, huge believer in the power that talking money has to really elevate entire communities. I think that when we communities of color really give ourselves permission, along with the knowledge and the tools and the resources to really learn um, what it is to get to that next level. I think that we have the power to write and rewrite cultural narratives, especially the ones that have not been working in the past. It's incredibly powerful to just start really, what is it, square one, to really just be willing and open and comfortable to have the conversations that need to be had. Because if we're not willing to open our mouths, be honest about what's really happening what money is doing to us, what money has the power to do for us. When we don't have those conversations, we're really doing a tremendous service, not only to ourselves, but to our families. And again, the community in general and in the society as a whole, because we're not participating in these incredibly important conversations. And I think like just talking, like you're saying that, and it's like, I think I seen something on, I think I, I can't remember where it was at, but I seen this like meme, it was either a meme or a little video. It was about finance, but it was like, people will tell you more about, they'll be more open about their sex life than they will about their finances. Like you start a conversation about that with anyone, sex about anyone, religion, politics, you see it all over your timeline right now, right? All over everywhere, all these social things, but you talk about money and people like, and it's funny because I even see it on my timeline. I'll post something about money or whatever without a lot around it. No one will say anything. I post something funny, same people see it and everybody posts because of the fear, because of the fear, the anxiety, the mindset. A lot of us that grew up with nothing, myself included, grew up with a scarcity mindset to transition from that. It's like, how do you do that? And no one's really talked about that, right? You have to get really into it. Like they teach us about everything else in school, but they do not talk to us about finances. You have to go into, like, I remember taking a personal finance class when I was in college. I worked at the bank already and I learned more in that personal finance class that I took because of an elective because I didn't want to write. And I was like, math is good. I'll be able to do math. I'll take this. I just don't want to write anything. And I learned more in that class than I had ever been taught all the years leading up to that and still didn't know a lot. I still had tons to learn, but talk to us about how to break some of those money taboos within communities of color. How do we do that? Like, what do we do? It's definitely a commitment. I think exactly what you were saying. I believe a lot of it has to do with the fear. Unfortunately, a lot of it is rooted too in shame because since we don't get that financial education growing up, a majority of us don't. It's something that we have to learn by trial and error. And when you have to learn anything by trial and error, you're bound to make mistakes. It's those mistakes, I think, that we internalize and we take really hard, especially when we're already playing the catch-up game when it comes to money relative to other cultures. We're kind of always sprinting right behind trying to catch up. When we make a mistake when it comes to our money, it's hard. We take it incredibly hard and it's hard to bounce back internally, obviously, in private, but then much less dealing with it in public because it's shameful, because it can feel shameful. And I think that that's part of those conversations is kind of telling people, letting people know that 
first of all, we've made mistakes, especially what you were saying. I can completely identify for somebody that came from nothing. Your journey is going to be made up of a lot of trip ups, of a lot of undoing, unlearning a lot of behaviors, undoing a lot of things, kind of going back to the drawing board and redoing things, which can be costly, not only time, but money. It's really continuing to put those things out there and saying, hey, you know, I've made mistakes too, but this is how I was able to bounce back from it. And also, I think that it's important to obviously give people the resources to be able to maybe have made a mistake, but know that it can, you can fix it. There's going to take X, Y, and Z to do that. In my own practice, one of the things that I always try to do is just talk through my own money mistakes. Here I am, financial advisor. CFP candidate. I take my CFP next month. Keep your fingers crossed. I'll pass it. But here I am and I'm sitting here saying, I know how to fix credit because I had bad credit. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I thought you had it. Like I've talked to people and they're like, well, I thought you always had it together. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like these, I learned what bad credit was when I went to go get a car and they were like, hey, uh, this credit card is, you're not supposed to use that much of the limit. I was like, oh, I thought we could just use it all. And so talking through those types of things is how this started for me. Like going in and saying, okay, hey, this is how we fix the credit. This is why it's so important for you to make sure that you pay your payments on time. This is why it's so important to keep the balances at this amount. You don't want to have them maxed out. And that was all from my mistakes that I learned, but I don't want people to make those same mistakes. And then it got a little deeper as we continued to have things happening in my family, having like an estate plan. When we hear estate plan, everybody assumes that that's for someone that's rich. And I'm like, no, that's not for someone that's risk. That's for someone that wants to retain control. And so we talk through those types of issues. Like I had my uncle that passed away and he was on life support and my grandma, he wasn't married. And my grandmother was the one that made the decisions to keep him on life support for a while. And I've talked about this before on other shows, but brought a lot of attention to the family. If he had an estate plan with the advanced healthcare directive in it or the will in it, it would have told us exactly what he wanted to do. Little things like that, being able to share them with my clients when we're talking makes it like, oh, okay, so you made this mistake. And it's almost like people feel better when they know you've been through something. I think that's part of the value of your knowledge is the fact that you've been there, you've done that, and now you know better. So you're doing better and you can advise. The advice that you're giving can help somebody avoid making those same made mistakes or, you know, whatever experiments really. Yeah. I don't like to call them mistakes exactly, but just the ones that didn't work. Do you have any examples of things that you share with people that you're saying, you know what, this is one of the money mistakes I made? You got something that you feel like sharing with the people? Absolutely. I have quite a few, but (laughs) one of the ones that really stands out is the reason for creating Financialista, which is our signature online course. When I was much younger, at 15 years old, I couldn't wait to have my mom sign my high school work permit. I just wanted to get my ass to work so I can make money, so I could splurge money and have that sense of independence. That's what I did, right? My work permit, I went off to work. My first job was at a movie theater, which was awesome. But with those paychecks, essentially, my parents were very gracious to not ask me to pay rent or anything at that time. I'd help with groceries at the time or whatever it is that the house needed, but then the rest of the money was mine to splurge. That's sort of the trap that I fell into is earning money and spending it as fast as I could earn it. And I think when you're younger, you feel like, oh, okay, if I spend all my money, I'm just going to get my ass back to work and then make it all over again. And that's the cycle that we tend to perpetuate, which eventually when you start crossing into your 20s, into your 30s, 
And then much later on in life, and as we start having families, we start having kids, we start having heavy duty obligations, it's impossible to stay in that cycle because something has to give. And that was the hard lesson for me. When I started having all these other responsibilities, I couldn't obviously splurge my money. Or if I did, there was consequences to that, which meant that I had to bust my ass even harder. I had to work double time. And then with that comes something that, again, I saw my parents doing. You start sacrificing time, health, and sanity, not just your own. But then once you start having family, you start sacrificing their time, their health, and their sanity because you're always away at work. It's because of maybe not having that solid financial foundation that keeps you on that hamster wheel. It's important to really, you know, again, see the big picture and see what is it costing you to have these cycles of spending and then just trying to remake it all over again. Then, you know, with this pandemic, what happens if you can't go back to work, even if you wanted to? It's all of those variables all mixed into one that I think led me to First of all, that deep, deep fear that I think we all have in communities of color, of we don't want to die broke, right? And just realizing that if I keep spending money like this, I'm going to have to continue working like this for the rest of my life. And that's, that in itself is a really scary thought. I agree wholeheartedly with you on that. And I think in communities of color, we want stuff so fast, right? We want it right now. And I think about just like a car. Let's just take a car, for instance, because that's what I went and bought when I first got my job. Everybody needs to know that I'm doing okay. So I'm gonna go buy a car that says I'm doing okay, right? And I always tell this story. There's this girl that came into the bank when I was working at the bank and she had a brand new Camaro, beautiful car, beautiful. She came into the bank to take $1 out because that's all she had. She took a dollar out of her account. And I was like, wow. I think about that and I think about the instant gratification that we try to achieve or trying to impress people that we don't know to make it look like we have it all together. It's something that we do as communities of color all the time. And it's just because I don't think we like you don't look past 10 years, like you don't look past 20 years and say, okay, how does this decision affect me? And I wanted to just interject something that I heard from our last show. It was with, he talked about the price of something and the cost of something. They are different. And my grandfather would say stuff like this to me. And I didn't understand what he was saying. Because of course, when I was 18, I knew everything. My grandfather didn't know nothing. I found out later he's a very, very smart man. <laughs> but he told me, he said, if you want to go buy a Cadillac, you better make sure you have Cadillac money to fix it. And what I think he was trying to tell me was the cost of the car or the price of the car and the cost of the car are two different things. And I think we find ourselves doing that with many different things, the price versus the cost. You spending the money that you were spending had a cost to it. The cost was taking time away from your family. The cost was the financial anxiety. The cost was these other things that we're bringing up right now. And I think if we can speak in terms of, if we can get like one thing from someone out of this show, if they can think in terms of cost and price or price and cost, however you want to do it, I think that'll make a huge, huge difference. That's interesting. And I love that you brought that up to put a label on it, to really drive the point home that they are separate, much like the conversations between the difference between being rich and being wealthy. You knowing what each represents and going from just being somebody that has money to somebody that knows money. And I think that that's a tremendous shift along with the price and the cost of things. And I think what's great about that also is that it opens up the door for other types of conversations, like how we should maybe start to really plant the seeds about what's important 
you were saying like that you want to show that you're doing okay. And I think that's part of also writing and rewriting narratives, especially, you know, old ones that might not be so conducive to financial prosperity within our communities is really trying to reframe like what is prosperity and what does being good look like? Making that shift from some of the material things as we've known them to maybe some other more fulfilling ways, but then also being able to enjoy like the finer things in life or whatever it is that you want that makes you feel good. Like, okay, I I got this catalog. I feel good about where I'm at. Also just reshifting the way we think about people being good. Like what is good? I think that that's important too. And I love that you brought up the price and the cost. Once we start thinking about that, we definitely will start rethinking the way that or where we're sort of investing our money. And like you said, it's just one of those things we just didn't know. I think as we begin to talk about money, speak the narrow, people can have these conversations and listen and then be like, oh, that's what it means. And I think hearing it from someone that looks like you, sounds like you, maybe even speaks the language that you speak, makes a powerful impact because now you're saying, okay, this isn't just for non-minority people. This is coming from someone that I can relate to, someone that her parents were immigrants his parents weren't around or didn't have those money conversations with him. Now he's bringing this to us. And so we can change things for the next generation. How do you think cultural traditions sometimes hinder financial progress? Oh, I love that question. Great question. It's oh, my passion, my passion. Really, you know, I always, since I embarked on Latina money, I consider myself a generational financial curse breaker. I think that that was my mission, my drive. When I Wait, say that again, say that again, say it again. Generational financial curse breaker. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I think, again, kind of going back to the reference point with my parents, they immigrated in the 80s and they jumped into manual labor jobs. But growing up and got older, they just slowly started deteriorating body, mind and spirit because it's just so tough. It's hard for a body to withstand so many years of manual labor and forget about just existing on survival mode. And that does something to you psychologically. And it affects not only you, but you know your family members and everybody that sees you struggling. And I think that that really took a toll on me to really light that fire under my ass to say, not only am I going to learn how to get and feel more in control of my own money, but then also explore ways, alternatives, options where I'm not following exactly in those footsteps because I want to be able to get older, enjoy my kids, enjoy some time off with that sort of breathing room. Culture-wise, I think one of the toughest things that I've encountered in my journey, especially with parents that immigrated to this country, I think traditionally we get told you have to go, you have to graduate college, you have to have a diploma, you have to buy a house. And once you do these two things and obviously get married, And when you do these three things, that's the sign of prosperity. That's the American dream. And I think we get ingrained with all of these things since a very young age. But then once we get to that age where we actually get faced with that decision, this pressure gets put on us. But then they fail to tell us that all of those things come with a really hefty price tag. People that honor our ancestors, the people that honor our heritage, our culture, we want to have the people around us be proud of us. So we jump into going to college. We jump into getting married. We jump in buying the house and the single family homes, right? 
but not knowing until much later down the road when you're already in the commitment, when you're already in debt, when you're already trapped. It's not really a trap, but mentally you can kind of feel trapped in some of those spaces. But it wasn't exactly, oh, nobody told me about this. You know, like I didn't know that once I graduated college, I was going to be stuck with like 50K plus of student loan debt. Within the financial space, we talk about assets versus liabilities. So traditionally, a home is considered an asset, but we don't quite realize that is it really an asset? Because it, it's if the mortgage payment is huge and you can't afford it and you're always upside down every month, is it really an asset? Then we don't really get presented with those choices. Like, should you buy a single family versus a duplex or a multifamily property where you can then bring in income to pay for the mortgage? And it's really, I think that that's where a lot of my passion has come from is letting people know that they have options. But it's also been tough because when you opt for an option as opposed to the way things have been traditionally run, you get a lot of resistance, you get a lot of pushback. And I think that's something that I experienced in my life as well. I was kind of considered like the black sheep of the family because I was always questioning why, why things were the way that they were. Or if I didn't follow the traditional path, the people around me were kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want these things that we're all striving for. And I think, well, it's not that I don't, it's that I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. I want to know what is the price that I'm going to have to pay? And like, what am I going to give up when I have all these things? And I think those, it's important to let our communities know that they have options and that progress doesn't look one specific way, that they can go about it multiple different ways I hate to use the word sometimes the smarter way, but essentially the leapfrogging way, you know, well, you'll still acquire these things that are symbolic and representative of social mobility and progress, but you're not going to be stuck. You're not going to sign up for something that's constantly taking money out of your pocket, or you're going to be enslaved to these huge paybacks. It's important to be strong. I think that it's okay to question the way things have been done. It's hard, I think, especially when you're doing it within your own family. I think nobody wants to feel like their way of doing things is not the right way. I think we all have to be okay with saying, okay, that is tradition. I honor it. I respect it. But what else is there? What are my options here? And I think it's important to let people make their own decisions based on being presented with all the different options. You know, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. I want you to be specific about one tradition, if you feel comfortable, that you're saying, you know what, this is a traditional thing that happened in with within my culture that I just said, I think this is something that I need to do different. And it has increased or helped your financial progress. Is there something that, is there an example that you'd like to share? Yes. And it's super, something that I actually don't share on my social media. I think if you people can read between the lines, they, they'll realize the sort of transition that I've made. But I think the importance of kind of going back about those milestones of progress, like the getting married, the buying the home, the going to school, I think people don't tell us how important it is to pick the right spouse, to pick the right partner. And I think the right partner will make or break your empire, regardless of whether you have a business or not. And that's something that, again, I had to learn the hard way. Well, I got married at 28. So first of all, that was already like late. I'm the youngest of four. So my three oldest sisters married their high school sweethearts when they're in their 20s. 
started families super young, but you know, again, the rebellious girl wanted to go travel and wanted to do other things. Not that I didn't want a family, not that I didn't want to have kids, but I saw the horror stories, like the examples of people living not their best lives. And I didn't want that. I delayed. Well, it's something that obviously is unplanned when you meet somebody that you feel is the one, you can't plan that, right? I met somebody that I fell in love with, that I wanted to start a family with, that I wanted to jump straight to the courthouse and without really knowing each other too well. And I think, you know, fast forward seven years, we ended up in divorce. We ended up thankfully in really great terms. We speak, you know, and I think there's that mutual respect between human beings. But when you ask me to reflect back on that experience, I think I wish somebody would have told me that I didn't have to put up with certain things, that I didn't have to tolerate certain things, that I had a choice whether I wanted to be in this situation or not. And I think as an empowered woman, it's hard, right, to feel like you're in a position that you can't, where you feel a little bit trapped. Getting out of here is not so easy. But you know, when you're married, the financials are intertwined, everything. But if you and your partner are not at the same hustle level, it's hard because somebody can't drag you along while trying to build something for the future. Likewise, you can't drag somebody along when you're trying to build something for the future. And I think that that's something that's valuable within our communities because we have that sense like loyalty is so big within our family structures. But then nobody really tells you that pain is not loyalty, domestic abuse. Thankfully, I didn't experience that in my situation, but in my parent, you know, I came from a household where my dad was an alcoholic, there was domestic abuse in the family, and it was just all bad. And those are the role models, the examples that you grow up having. So I think the next generations, you start accepting certain things that should be unacceptable. It's hard because again, the generational things, it's hard to break those things, those cycles. So somebody's brave enough to say, okay, no more. And what is it going to take for me to get out of the situation? And then I'm willing to do whatever it is that needs to be done to get out of the situation. So that's my personal experience with breaking generational cycles is that I believe the word loyalty, die hard. With that comes a realization of what loyalty is and what it is not. I appreciate you sharing your personal story. It takes a lot to go out and share personal things that are going on. I can relate to exactly what you were talking about. I've been married once before. I totally understand being committed, being young. I got married when I was super young. And then understanding like you evolve as a person and sometimes your partner doesn't evolve with you. Now that you're here, how do you navigate this? Because the embarrassment, the shame, now I have to explain to the family and they're like, well, you should just be loyal and be committed. And, And I'm like, well, that's not And it wasn't about being happy. I just didn't think it was the right fit. No knock on her. Wasn't anything wrong with her. Things just didn't work out. I know how I felt when I had to go through explaining that and trying to share it. And then I didn't really want to talk about it. Like I just didn't really want to totally feel that. And I really do appreciate you sharing that with the listeners. And I know your listeners appreciate that. And if they're behind the scenes, they know what's going on. And you are an empowered woman. And it's hard to relinquish that power. And I'm not saying that like you're giving it away. What I'm saying is to have someone like say, okay, it's okay to be empowered and I'm going to empower you as your partner. I want you to continue doing stuff that's going to make you feel empowered. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And I I totally understand that. But I do appreciate you sharing that. And I know it's going to be well received. I promise you that. 
it's nice that you said the idea of being happy. It's okay to say I'm not happy in this situation. Although happiness can be a fleeting emotion, it's still something that we should strive for, something that emotional fulfillment. And I think that that's incredibly important in life, you know, love and money. You want to get to that place where you're not only do you find your soul tribe, but you find your soul partner, you know, your life partner. And then those people that are willing to collaborate with you, their growth game is on that same level as you. And I think it's nice to have Thank you for asking that personal question, because I think it's very important to realize that it's okay to say, I'm not happy here. And it has nothing to do with the other person. It just has, well, maybe not nothing, but we outgrew each other. Maybe we're heading in different directions. Maybe you want something that's a little bit different than I am. And it's okay for the both of us to go now in our separate ways to find what it is that's going to continue our journey in the way that we need to be involved. I think it's important to also kind of check in with that happiness meter and say, am I happy here? Am I happy in my relationship? Am I happy in my financial situation? Am I happy in my home life? All those things that start kind of, which can be scary. But when the answer is no, I'm not happy, then something has to change, which can be tough. But it's nice to check in with ourselves too and say, is this working? Is this not working? How do I feel? And sort of get the ball rolling from there. Absolutely. I think. We talked a little bit about your podcast. There's the De Niro School that you have. Talk about that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm excited because this month, it's their master classes taught by money mentors from all kinds of backgrounds, all walks of life. I know when I set out on my journey to learn about money, a lot of my mentors were from different ethnicities. A lot of them were males. A lot of them were in different types of industries. And I think that that sort of holistic well-rounded knowledge was essential because even though we are a diehard Latina, I, I love my people. I also recognize that there's an entire world out there. And especially when it comes to money, money is made not just in our own cities, but in our own counties, in our own state, within our own nation and overseas. And if we don't learn those things, then we are really just not only again, doing a disservice to ourselves, but we are really just getting sort of pigeonholed into this box when there's a whole world out there and there's tons of people doing really well out in the world. So it's important to learn from different cultures. It's important to learn from different industries. You know, with the podcast, it's important to me to have Latinas on the podcast sharing their money stories because, you know, much like you touched on, it's important for us to see ourselves, to see, to hear stories of people that we can relate to that look like us. But by the same token, I guess the catch-22 is that with Latinas, at least, we're the lowest paid demographic in the United States. And that's regardless of education, regardless of position. And that's a real shame. And the Latina wealth gap, the Latina pay gap is real. It helps to hear the money stories of how somebody got to a position that's maybe a little bit further down the road than us. But by the same token, we're still struggling the same. We continue to struggle the same important to kind of get that flip perspective and start learning from other people that are maybe don't have those same struggles, but can teach you a thing or two and kind of figure out if it works for you or not. With the Nettle School, that's my platform to be able to collaborate with money mentors that come in. They do master classes. They're about half an hour in length. They're pretty like short and sweet. They'll teach some sort of concept. Our featured course this month is how to become your own stimulus check 
by Dr. Nicole Gardner-Scott, and she is actually the CEO of Amount Financial Services based out of Atlanta. And she's just been phenomenal. She's a phenomenal person to learn from. And I think it's going to be a really great opportunity for people to learn from her. And this platform, you know, one of my goals with creating that particular branch of Latina Money is accessible financial education. Obviously, we don't learn that in the school system, but it's affordable. All of our master classes are going to be $27. They're about half an hour, super bite-sized, super digestible. And you get to pick and choose what you want to learn, where you're at in your own particular money journey. And then also exposing yourself to, again, money mentors that come from all walks of life, which is only going to benefit us as individuals to expand the way that we think about money. And we will definitely be putting links to that in the show notes. We will have links to the narrow school for dinero school for people that want to look into that. I love it. Yes, I love what you're doing. It's funny because it's eerily similar to what I'm doing, but it's just, this had to happen. So I'm glad it did. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. What motivates you, Janet? What motivates you and inspires you to continue to grow and learn? Well, I think kind of going back to that deep, deep rooted fear, I think that is just unfortunate, but it's very, you know, it's a commonality between many of our communities of color. It's just that fear of dying broke, you know, working so hard for something, then in a blink of an eye, something in your life, or you can get served, you know, a series of unfortunate events that leaves you in the poorhouse. And, you know, what happened to all 15, 20 plus years of all the hard work and sacrifice to end up in nothing. And I think that that's something that's all too common, again, in our communities. And it's been heartbreaking to experience it and see it for myself firsthand. But then also, in my own journey to connect with other Latinos, to connect with people from all kinds of backgrounds and realize that it's all too common and it's unfortunate. It becomes complicated because there is so much information out there. It's hard to know what you should be doing with your money. But essentially, having a creating a solid financial foundation for yourself and your family is really just a combination of very tangible steps. And I think when people open themselves up to connect with people where they can learn those things, where they can kind of dive into their own personal situations, it changes a lot of things. And it's going to change the trajectory of our future and not only our present day where we don't have, where we can go from just surviving to, dare I say, thriving. I think that that would be phenomenal. Then also change that script for those new generations where they don't have to pay the price of learning the hard way of undoing all the the money mistakes of the generations previous to them. The driving force for everything that I do is just not only for my community, but for everybody that identifies with the journey, with the struggle to know that, hey, life doesn't always have to be a struggle. Like, yes, we all have to struggle in some way to get to where we're going, but you don't have to condemn yourself to a life of, you know, hating life just because of something like money that can easily be shifted around, manipulated, controlled to fit your situation. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. It's in you, not on you, right? This is in you and it's coming out. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why what you're doing is working because it really does. You can feel it. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Uh, yes. Every the entire platform that Latina Money is really built on is financial education, speaking dinero, talking money, financial education, financial empowerment. Kind of going back 
it's the tool, it's the key that's going to unlock certain little concepts that will change everything for you. Again, going back to the difference between price and cost of something, the difference between rich and wealthy, between just having money and knowing money, we cannot control life sometimes. When you do get served those series of unfortunate events, you have to know, at least do your best to try to set yourself up in a position where you can bounce back, where you're not just going to be laid out flat, right? And just done with life because you couldn't make it through these hurdles, these obstacles that life just unfortunately sometimes deals everybody. That's the power of financial education. When you know money and not just focus on having it, then you will be better prepared. That is your insurance to some degree against these blows that life sometimes kind of dishes out for all of us. Exactly. Yes. Love it. How has your family supported you? Let's talk about some family support. How has they supported you through this journey and all, everything that's going on? It's been tough. I wish I could say that they've been entirely supportive. But again, kind of going back to that conversation about breaking generational curses, when Denzel said it too, your own family will talk shit about you in the process of breaking generational curses. And it's the sad truth, but understandable. And I think that that's one of the greatest gifts I think the Most High has given bless me with is that power of understanding people's resistance or like where people's position is. It's helped me be compassionate towards them. It's a tough pill to swallow, but by the same token, you not to conform and not to allow that resistance to stop me from fighting for what I believe is much needed change in the way that we've been doing things. One of the greatest things is that we have unconditional love within our family. There's nothing that they won't do for me. If I was dying, I know that they would come rescue me. Likewise, if they're dying, I'm going to be right there for them. But I can say that they've been really, truly understanding of what it is that I was trying to build because it goes against a lot of the things that they've fought so hard to like put in place. But you know, with anything, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's the outside world, the proof is in the pudding. So once I don't want to use the word succeed, but when you are able to produce tangible results that are working or that changes things, then they become the believers. They say, oh yeah, now I get it. Now I see what you were trying to do and I like it. It's kind of developing that tough skin to kind of push through the resistance. If you believe in what you're doing so much, it makes a difference. Now they get it. Now, because they have love for me, there was not a moment in that journey where they stopped loving me, where they stopped wanting to help if they could. But I think it's also important as world changers, as us people that are really kind of changing the status quo is to realize that what is it? You can't fit a square peg in a round hole. You can make people more than what they are. You can't expect them to give more than they can give. And I think it's important to compartmentalize family, friends, and knowing like, okay, they can only understand certain things of my journey, but that's okay. Because this is a journey that I believe I was destined to go on. This is the work that I believe I was divinely given. You have to be okay with people not always understanding where you're going. That is the biggest part of being a visionary, right? As you're a visionary, like people don't see the vision. That It's your vision. You have to be the one to execute it. You're the one that said divine, so I'm going to go ahead and throw this in here. Jesus said that you're not, a prophet isn't a prophet in his own land. No one in your family is going to believe what you're doing. And then the other thing was Noah looked crazy until it started raining. Everybody thought he was crazy. He's building. 
sometimes you have to build in spite of what people think. And it is okay because you will find your tribe of people that believe in you and that will be the support. And sometimes it doesn't come from your family. I'm speaking from experience. Anytime it has to do with finance, I would think, you know, they would call me, you know, I got a show, run a company, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 not at all. I don't, I don't get those calls. However, it's okay because I have my tribe, I have my support system and they will continue to help me get through this just as you have yours and people are rooting for you. And it's, it's always fun to see people rooting for you. Like I've been rooting for you and I know there's tons of other people that have been rooting for you, not knowing everything that's going on, just saying, I love what you're doing and continue doing what you're doing. And I hope nothing but success for you. Wish nothing but great things. As we're wrapping up here, if you had one piece of advice or pieces, because sometimes people have more than one to give to our listeners as a parting gift, what would that advice be? I would say question, have it be okay to question the way what people tell you, even people that you respect, the people that are your soul tribes, if they tell you something, I think it's healthy to be able to internalize it and say, does this fit? Does this feel good? First of all, does this fit where I'm trying to go? Is the way somebody's telling me to do something, is this conducive to the type of life I'm trying to build? And I think it's healthy to be able to make it okay to question things, whether you're doing it outwardly or just within yourself. Don't be afraid to ask, does this fit? Is this a good fit for me? Is this a good fit to where I'm trying to go? I think nothing but good things can come of that. I think once you start asking those questions, you start going down the rabbit hole. And eventually, the things that you're meant, that are meant for you, the knowledge that you're meant to come across will come to you. You will run into it. I think nothing but good things come from asking questions. Absolutely. I agree 100%, 200%, maybe even 5,000%. I agree with that. If the listeners want to get more of Latina Money and Janet, Janet Cruz Patron, I said it right, right? If they want to get more of you, where can they find you at? What social medias are you active on and where can they find you? Definitely. I'm always blogging over at the Dinero blog on latinamoney.com. So you can hop on over there. You can tune into the Latina Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Dinero School, it's dineroschool.teachable.com. That is where our masterclasses are being hosted. So you can always find us there. And then financialista.teachable.com, which is our signature course. And of course, I'm always active on Instagram. I think that that is really where our community thrives the most. We can engage over funny posts, over serious information. And that can be found at Latina underscore money. And then on Twitter, it's money at money Latina. Okay, awesome. So we have all of your contact information. Janet, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. This is not the last time the guests will hear from Janet. She will be back on our show. We will have her on doing some more stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and everything that you're doing. Thank you for the work that you're doing and continue to push forward. There's great things in store for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be able to share this conversation with not only your audience, but then also my audience, which I know are going to greatly benefit from all the work that you guys are doing. So thank you as well for everything. Thank you. Thank you. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. 
While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.